Welcome to the podcast series from the National Centre for Research Methods at the University of Southampton. In today's podcast, Professor Melanie Nind talks about her new book, What is Inclusive Research? Why she thinks we're moving into a new generation of inclusive research and why she's excited about how the hot topic is being discussed at the forthcoming Research Methods Festival. Well, inclusive research actually isn't a massively used term. People are much more comfortable using the term participatory research or emancipatory research. But inclusive research is coming out more as a kind of umbrella term. So it includes research that's participatory, emancipatory, user-led, user-involved, community-led peer research. So there's all these different sorts of research under the umbrella of inclusive research. But what they've all got in common, really, is this kind of values base or stance that we should be doing research with people, not on people. So it's often been with marginalised groups. So most of my experience has been in inclusive research with people with learning disabilities. They've been prodded and poked and written about, um, but not engaged in the research process. So that, that critical kind of change, instead of there being expert knowers and people whose knowledge is probed, that these people are seen as knowing together and exchanging that knowledge. So what aspects of uh, inclusive or participatory research did you want to explore and why? Well, the the book, What is Inclusive Research, is is based on two things, really. One is my ESRC-funded research, where the particular thing I wanted to look at was um, what's quality in inclusive research? What does it mean to do it well? And in that piece of research, I explored that in the context of um, doing research with people with learning disabilities But the book kind of extends more widely and looks at um, inclusive research with all kinds of groups. It culminates in a kind of discussion of what does it mean to do it well. But also the book was about saying how far have we got, what is this thing, how have our understandings developed over the years and what are the challenges still that we're grappling with in inclusive research. Yeah, I'm particularly interested in those um, challenges. I know some of those came out through the research project that you were talking about. This this fact, if you like, that the people expect so much from inclusive research. So in other words, the research is not just an end in itself. I mean, that must provide some real challenges for researchers. Absolutely. And I think sometimes people get lost in the process of are they doing their research inclusively enough? Are they meeting the criteria of involving their participants at all the stages of the research process? And those kinds of challenges can almost take over from the question of, you know, what is this research problem <laughs> that we're engaged with and what is the knowledge we want to add to the world? So that's, that's where kind of inclusive research has sometimes got a little bit stuck, I think. So why is it important then? Why, why did you feel it was important to pull all this together uh, in, in a book? I think one of the reasons is that um, it's become quite kind of fashionable, inclusive research, that it's often used as a buzzword or a watchword without necessarily the depth of understanding underneath it. So it's about addressing that. Also, you know, governments and funding bodies will now often specify they want user-led, user-involved. And then when people tender or put in proposals, 
the funding bodies don't actually know how to evaluate what they're looking at. How do you compare a piece of research that's been proposed that has some marginalised group at its heart making all of the decisions and maybe moving slowly and um, in an error-strewn way but producing knowledge that's really valid and important to them compared with a piece of academic research which might meet quality criteria that these people are more familiar with. So that that was one of the, the reasons. I wonder if you can talk us through some of the examples of the of the work that you've you've done and and what you've learned along the way. The main kind of thing I've learned is that there isn't one way of doing inclusive research. And it's really important to get that message across to people because otherwise it can become dogmatic in a way. People are asserting that people um, have to be involved at every stage of the way. Well, sometimes people who are normally the subjects of other people's research or users of service or whatever don't actually want to be involved at every stage. They're quite happy to leave um, days and days of endless coding of data to the academic researcher. They don't want to spend their time reading other papers. What they want to do is interview people and conduct focus groups or shape the research questions. What I found just talking in my own research with, there was over 60 people doing inclusive research, and from looking at examples in other fields like children's research, older people's research, It's just this real rich diversity. The methods are different. What people put an emphasis on is different. How they support people is different. But it is this kind of democratic values base that holds them all in common. So are there some key bits of advice, if you like, that that come out of it that researchers can take away and apply and think about when they're doing their own research in whatever whatever field it is or whatever area it is? Yes, there there is. And, And in the book, in the final chapter, I end up with some questions to ask yourself when trying to set up research in an inclusive way and questions to ask yourself when trying to judge, is this a good piece of research? And I've tried to set it up in this way of questions so that it it stimulates people to think about the things that other people have been thinking about, but not provide, if you like, tips. (laughs) The book certainly isn't about tips for inclusive researchers because of this notion of diversity. And because really every group has its own kind of practical challenges. Often there's this inconsistency that people grapple with. So people want to do the research one week, but perhaps aren't well enough the next week or have fallen out in love with it the next week. So everybody faces different challenges. So these questions, I think, are quite helpful. This question that you 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 raise of, of of how to do it better, if you like, was this was this whole question of finding the right criteria? I mean, that must have been quite difficult in itself. It wasn't a case of come up with the answers. What is this? It was a case of in, we had this series of um, focus groups um, over the course of a year, and people met time and time again, and so rapport built and as a level of honesty, if you like. So in a way, these quality criteria kind of bubbled up rather than being squidged or forced out. And we ended up with things like the research um, should answer questions that we could not otherwise answer, but that are important. So there's no point doing a research project in an inclusive way if a bunch of academics could go away and do it themselves just as well, but quickly and more efficiently. It's got to be asking questions and doing things that couldn't have been done as well if it wasn't inclusive. One of the interesting things I thought about your your research project was 
if you like, the wide range of, of people that were, were involved in the focus groups and, and the way you managed that. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you went about it. I mean, it was using networks that, that I had already um, and networks of the people um, that I was networked with. One of the focus groups was where people with learning disabilities were leading their own research and in control and using academics and other workers to support them. One of the strands was on around people with learning disabilities and academics who work together collaboratively in a kind of research cooperative. And the other was academics who were using more participatory methods to engage with people maybe with more profound impairments or very young disabled children, say. So I deliberately made those three groups separate initially to try to get a level of honesty in the dialogue. There are some things that people might think but be afraid to say in a mixed focus group. So I went for some level of homogeneity to start with but then ultimately brought everybody together in this plenary type focus group. And I also was threading the ideas through from one focus group to another. So one group would be discussing um, a particular issue and then I'd feed that through to the next group. So they were talking about similar things, but in small, safe spaces. And I wonder where the policy community fits into to all of this, because there must be uh, a huge amount of interest from uh, policymakers in in how to conduct this sort of research effectively and properly in order to uh, conduct policy making properly. Yes, and one of the focus groups I had a particular a distinct focus group which was around policymakers and funders of inclusive research. Um, that was very interesting to get their insights into what they wanted from a project when they were funding a piece of inclusive research. The problematic bit of that was that the people who came along were the people who were really committed to inclusive research. So say someone from the Joseph Roundtree Foundation who have that as one of their values and priorities. Um, it's it's harder, of course, reaching the people who aren't already convinced. Um, but I have given a, a seminar about all of this to government social researchers who are interested and, and certainly moving in, in the direction of um, wanting more users of services, as they would put it, involvement in the research. And I just wonder then, Melanie, where do you take your research from here? I mean, clearly, it, it, you weren't looking to solve a problem, as it were. You were looking to to discuss and, and, and really raise a lot of the issues around this topic and w- within this area. So wh- where do you take things from here? When I started my own project, it was from the stance of having done some research in a more inclusive way and some in a less inclusive way. And knowing in some ways the kind of fervour about um, inclusive research, people are really very passionate about it. And it's really kind of hot political terrain, certainly with some groups. And so I suppose my end point was that I wanted to understand it better and to be able to have a more of a clear perspective for myself of how much, you know, in the future my project should or shouldn't be inclusive. And I certainly didn't want to do inclusive research that wasn't also good social science. So that quality issue was really pertinent to me um, professionally. And where I've ended up really is, is thinking that we've had a first generation of inclusive research where what we've established is that it's important and it can be done and how we tackle some of the practical things. 
I think now we're moving into a, almost like a second generation of inclusive research where we can switch the focus onto real quality projects looking at important social problems. And um, I will be <laughs> using an inclusive a, a, approach and, and certainly um, busy uh, um, bidding <laughs> for grants to do some work around um, self-advocacy but done in an inclusive way. You're going to be uh, presenting at the Research Methods Festival in, in July on this whole issue of uh, inclusive research. Can you tell us a bit about the presentation, what you're going to be talking about? Yes, the, the session I'm convening is um, Inclusive Research Advances in Participatory Methods and Approaches. And at the um, Methods Festival, we've always had something every time around inclusive research, but this is about pushing forward, as I said, into a kind of new generation way of thinking about inclusive research if you like so one of the sessions is going to be about who owns inclusive research that's really important for say um, PhD students often want to do their research in an inclusive way but then of course grapple with the thing about it's their thesis and their doctorate so looking at that we've got a session looking at advances in participatory health research where lots of work's been done and one on feminist projects using digital media to um, include participants more actively in research so it should be a good session and what's really important for me is that the discussants will be reflecting on the three inputs are a duo from a workers cooperative so they're from outside of academia one with learning disabilities one without and they'll be trying to tease out what they learn from the presentation about doing research inclusively so I think that will be quite powerful. What is Inclusive Research by Professor Melanie Nine from the University of Southampton is published by Bloomsbury Publishing. You can find out more information about the ESRC National Research Methods Festival on the NCRM website at www.ncrm.ac.uk.